0: Welcome to the Well-Balanced 360 podcast, where we dive into the latest and best tips on medicine and spirituality to help you master your health and overcome your fears so that you can feel your absolute best. I'm your host, Dr. Shivani, a licensed medical doctor, a yoga nerd, and a wellness enthusiast. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to be here. Now let's dive in. I'm joined today by the wonderful Dotsie Bausch, a vegan Olympic silver medalist from the 2012 London Olympic Games. I'm excited for you to join us on this special episode where we hear her journey on becoming an athlete, being vegan, and how she overcame her struggles with anorexia. Thank you for joining me today, Dotsie. I'm so, so excited to have you on. I would love for you to start by sharing your story on how you became an athlete. Oh my goodness. Well, thanks for having me on. And I'd be happy to share that. I'll try to be as brief as possible. I'm sure everybody's whole story and their journey and their life can feel too long to those listening. So I'll try to sync it up for you. Basically, I found cycling, which was my sport in the Olympics. I competed in the 2012 Olympic Games in the sport of track cycling. And I basically found cycling as a vehicle to recovery from anorexia, really is how it unfolded. I was very sick with anorexia, almost lost my life to it and started a healing journey when I was finally ready, which I wasn't for a very long time. That was a couple of years long. And towards the end of that healing journey, my therapist that saved my life suggested that I find or dig in and connect with either a sport or an activity or an exercise or some kind of body movement that I could enjoy And possibly move my body in a healthy way again, which I hadn't been able to do for a really long time because overexercise was an aspect of my disease. So I chose cycling. I was living out in Los Angeles by that time. And I thought, wow, well, maybe if I got a bike, that would just feel so good to ride up and down Pacific Coast Highway and up and down the Santa Monica Mountains and just experience the wind in my face and quite frankly, just the freedom because I had been in the confines of my disorder for so long that I was really craving my newfound freedom, my newfound healing. And that was newfound freedom for me. So that's how it started. She just said, I love it. A bike is a great idea. Go get a bike. So I went and got a bike and started riding and I found madly in love. And I was 26 at the time. So it was a bit late to to kind of enter a sport, but I just stuck with it. I loved it deeply and wanted to see at first, just how many mountains I could climb in one day. And then. As the years went on, it was seen if I could make it to the Olympics, so. (laughs) (laughs) You've been pretty open about your struggles with anorexia and some other addictions. So the cycling started as a healing for that. You didn't always know you wanted to be in the Olympics. Oh, goodness, no. I mean, I love the Olympics always. My mom and I would watch every minute of every day when the Olympics were when I was a little girl. But I grew up in Kentucky, and I competed in saddlebred horseback riding. That was not an Olympic sport. The equestrian is, hunter-jumpers is. So it wasn't anything that ever occurred to me that could be a possibility, right? Because I was currently not doing any sport that was in the Olympics. (laughs) And it wasn't a dream, but I always loved watching them with my mom and still do. (laughs) How old were you when you were in the Olympics? 39 and a half. When did you know you wanted to be in the Olympics? I guess that's what I'm asking because that's profound and that's amazing that you started that as a recovery thing and it led you all the way to the Olympics. As I went along, since I had a pretty untraditional entry into the sport, of course, when I entered it, I just tried my first race one day and you have to start as a category four and then you have to get points to move up. The whole journey was just kind of seeing what was possible, the next goal move up from a Category 3 to a Category 2, and then try new races. And then I got noticed by the U.S. national team in 2002 and then ended up spending about 10 years with the U.S. national team traveling and racing all over the world in road cycling and towards the end of that, switched over to track cycling. It was really just this discovery journey for me back in 2002, I was like, oh, the U.S. national team has picked me up. Now I'm going to the Olympics. Like, that's not how it worked. I just kept trying to be better than I was the day before. And I was so in love with the sport. And I loved working hard and training hard and seeing what was possible. So it was really just that. And then when it actually came into my sphere of possibility was two and a half years out from the 2012 Olympic Games. So, you know, mid-2009, I was definitely on the A-team for track cycling team pursuit, which is what I went to Olympics in. So I knew at that point, it was like in my sphere of possibility. Like if I continue on this road and I don't get injured, it is a possibility that I'll make the Olympic team. So those next two and a half years were pretty hyper-focused on that one goal. That's amazing. And can you kind of walk me through what that day was like in 2012 when you walked into the Olympics? Do you use <laughs> any type of mindfulness techniques? Do you visualize? Is it meditation? Actually, my therapy for my eating disorder heal from anorexia, which had turned into bulimia by that point, that really worked for me was a meditative therapy approach, frankly. And so, what I did back then was my therapist. Well, I'll just speak for myself. I was going to say a lot of anorexics, and I can say that many of them have shared this feeling and this experience I'm about to tell you, but you are completely disconnected from your body, right? Like your mind and emotions are one thing, and they're living over here, and your body's over there. You're not connected to how your body is feeling anything, experience anything. You get to a pretty numb state. You have no idea what hunger actually feels like or is. So you're very disconnected. So she worked with me to connect me back to my body. And what that looked like was a meditation experience that had me close my eyes and become centered and locate and identify the source of pain in my body at that time. And so she would have me locate it, give it size, its temperature, its shape, its weight, even. And a lot of times for me, my source of pain and trauma, if you will, that I was going through, I would find it in my upper chest. And it would be, let's say baseball size. And some days it felt like 40 pounds and some days it felt like 10 pounds, but really recognizing and being able to connect back with your body. So fast forward many years to the Olympics, I used a lot of that meditation therapy-like approach, although in a bit of a different capacity, but really Making sure that I was staying connected, right? That my mind and my emotions were staying connected to my body. I was listening to my body. I could hear my body. I could feel what my body was feeling. And most of it was certainly to try and go out and have the performances of a lifetime, no doubt for that. But it was also because I just had this deep desire to really richly experience the Olympic Games. Because, like I said, I was 39 and a half. I didn't think I was going to be going back. This was probably kind of wild that I'd even made it to the Olympics. I really wanted to have a rich experience. Just really be there, be there in the village, be there with all the amazing countries and athletes and just soak up those moments in time because they were not likely to happen again. So that meditative therapy approach kind of reemerged in my mental training as I got towards the Olympic Games and certainly when I was there. You often hear athletes talk about how they visualize winning on top of all the other training that they do. And you've been known to have such incredible work with being plant-based, right? Did you become vegan prior to starting the Olympics or being in the Olympics? Or was that something that happened afterwards? No, it was a couple of years before. I mean, I became plant-based. I don't say pure vegan because I wasn't aware enough to be like reading every single label. Like today, I'm what I would call like psycho vegan, right? Like I'm pretty, (laughs) I'm pretty intense about it, but definitely plant-based. And it was a journey that was probably one of the smartest things I ever did for sure in terms of producing more output and more strength and better recovery and just an overall better energy in my training those last couple of years. So I didn't necessarily know that it was going to elicit that response. I didn't know very much about, well, I didn't know anything in the beginning of plant-based nutrition, certainly not to the degree of what I know now, but it really turned out to be kind of a secret weapon. And would you say something triggered that? Or did you just wake up one day and I was like, I'm going to be plant-based? definitely not. I grew up, like I said, in Kentucky, grew up in the South, grew up on, there was meat on every plate. There really probably was never a meal where there wasn't an animal or an animal product on my plate. So I kind of fell into the category of those that believe that you need animal products and animal protein and animal flesh to really be an optimal athlete. So it wasn't something that I would have thought of to do for my performance. So I came in through the ethics route. I really just sort of one day began uncovering what goes on behind closed doors in our food system. And it was just this epiphany, as we all know, who have done that, who have gone down that rabbit hole. There's no way back out, right? Like once you know, you can't unknow any of it. And to me, I grew up deeply loving animals and I had a ton of animals on our property. And so I just had this soul shift that was like, well, hold on a minute. I can't love some and then have happen what happens to others happen Mm -hmm. to them before they get to my plate. Like I'm not being true. I'm not being real. I'm not being honest if I were to do that. So that was the reason that I made the shift in the first place. That's amazing. And you also started something called Switch for Good. Can you talk about that? Yes. It's a nonprofit I run now that I started a couple of years ago, about two and a half years ago. Really, initially, it wasn't started to become a full blown nonprofit. It was just an idea. And the idea was to put a commercial with some. Vegan Olympians on the closing ceremonies of the 2018 Olympic Games to directly go up against all of the got milk marketing. Because as we all know, milk has been using athletes since forever to peddle their product, to sell their product. And the dairy industry is the number one sponsor of the US Olympic team. So I had been through many years of having that substance, I won't call it a food, pushed on me and my teammates. and. I kind of had a snapping point in 2018, where I just thought the Olympics were coming back around, all the dairy commercials were starting back up again, and they were using all the champion athletes. And I just thought, my God, somebody has got to say something about this. This is not right. And it's not true. And it's not okay. And we need to stand up. So Switch for Good really just started as kind of brandalism, if you will, against milk and their marketing and their inundation of their marketing on athletes and with athletes. So just Some of us just standing up saying, hey, wait a minute, you actually don't need cow's milk to produce, you know, gold medal. It's not a requirement. It's really rather ridiculous if you think about it. So it started as an idea, but formed into a nonprofit shortly thereafter. When you started it, did you know other athletes that were plant-based or vegan at the time? I'm assuming there weren't many of you. There were not many. And it's funny you ask that because I had the idea and then quickly pulled together the amazing director Luis Zahoyas, who directed the Game Changers, and that's how I knew him and had become good friends with him, and the funders and the production company. And so we kind of all came together. and I remember having a meeting. We were actually at Sundance for the Game Changers premiere in Utah. And I remember having a meeting and everybody was kind of divvying up the workload. Okay, we're doing because it was very quick. I had this idea and the Olympics were like six weeks later. So we had to put this whole <laughs> commercial together really quickly. And we're divvying up the word and they're like, okay, Dotsie, you've got all the athletes. You're going to get all the athletes. You know, all the athletes that are going to be in this commercial. I'm like, yep, got it. Thumbs up. And I hung up and I was like, crap, I only know like two Olympians <laughs> that are plant-based. Ah! So I leaned on some friends, Brendan Brazier, who you probably know, one of the originals in plant-based nutrition and athletic space. I called him and he knew two Canadian Olympians that were plant-based and also one from Great Britain we put it together, but it's not like it is now, right? Now it's just athletes are coming out every other day saying they're plant-based or vegan. So it's definitely grown. When people share stories, that's the best way we all learn, right? So thank you for all you do. For someone who wants to start off, I guess not going completely vegan, but into a plant-based diet, what advice would you give? Because it is hard to break any habit and go cold turkey overnight. It is, it can be for sure you want to dip your toe in. You don't have to go full Monty or full Auntie or whatever you want to say, full vegan. I think it's really important to, first of all, not look at it as a diet. That'll just kill you, right? Because the diet industry has really just beaten us over and over with perfection, right? If you don't do a diet 100% right, then forget it. You've lost. So don't think of it in that way because you can certainly do meatless meal once a day, right? Like just your lunches, or you could do it once a week. Think of it as a journey into a really incredible lifestyle that I think is full of abundance, which is the number two tip is think of it and recognize its abundance. So think about bringing new foods in, not taking your foods out yet. It's not like, no, you can't have that meat. You cannot have that piece of cheese, right? It's like, Just start filling your plate with so many more plants, so many more whole grains, cruciferous veggies, seeds, nuts, all interesting flavors and spices. And once you start doing that, you'll notice that you're eating less meat, you're eating less dairy, you're eating less eggs. So think of it as more abundance than that you're going to be on this really restrictive diet. So those are the two best tips. And then try to have fun. When I did it, it was like, I wanted to have fun with it if I was going to do this for me, I knew it was going to be a complete life shift. I mean, I knew I was heading this way and there was not anything that was going to stop me. So it really was, okay, let's try new things, try new flavors, have fun with it. And nowadays the stores and the shelves are stocked with plant-based alternatives. So try different ones, see what you like that you don't like. A lot of people say to me, oh, I tried that one plant-based burger and I didn't like it. And you're like, okay, try a different one. It's just like in the, Meat-based world. Some things you like, though some things you don't. So just keep experimenting, right? And sort of have fun with it. Maybe get something new every week at the grocery store. Just challenge yourself. Say, okay, I'm going to get all my normal stuff. That's good for all of us, even plant-based eaters, right? Like I'm trying to add more variety in my diet because I know that's so much better for my gut microbiome. So it's like I'm going to add a new vegetable in every week that I've never really tried before, or maybe I had it once at a restaurant. Because you know we buy like the same 40 things, it, right? We really do. So Try to break some of those habits and just say, okay, I'm just going to get something brand new at the grocery store every week. So just little tips like that. I have to ask the whole protein thing, right? How do you get your protein in with being a vegan? Well, it's really rather easy, but I always start people off with helping them to understand how much protein they actually need, because we are living in a total obsessive over protein society and too much protein, especially really too much animal protein, right? Leads to a host of diseases. So I think it's really just first looking, okay, how much protein are we really talking here? And when I was training full time, full blast for the Olympics, I was eating about 1.2 to 1.5 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. So not pound, but kilograms. So For me, and I'll translate it into pounds, I was about 135, 140 pounds, and that's only about 85 grams of protein. It's not this 100 grams of protein a day that you think you need. Maybe you need a little bit more than that. Maybe you need a little bit less. If you are active but not training for the Olympics, you really only need one gram per kilogram of body weight or easily 0.8. That's what the American dietetics society says, or whatever their name is, ADA is, point, is 0.8 grams per kilogram. That's down to like 50, 60 grams a day. That's probably what I eat now. I don't count anything ever anymore. I don't want to, I just want to enjoy my food, but I have kind of an idea about what's going in. So first of all, know what you need, right? And it's not just like protein, 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 because the carbohydrates and the glycogen are where we get our energy. That's why you find a lot of paleo people they're tired all the time because they're not getting any glycogen, right? Everything that's alive has protein in it, right? So every single plant has protein. Lemons have protein. Broccoli has protein, right? Not as much as lentil beans or garbanzos, right? Or hemp seeds or tahini, but this still has protein. So once you put it all together, you can easily get it in. But I'll make bowls, layered bowls, where you've got like grains and beans and greens and seeds and nuts and a delicious cream and tahini dressing or something, and easily be eating twenty grams of protein at that meal, and it just it does it just comes from the beans and the seeds and a little bit from the veggies. I don't think people realize how much proteins plants have. They don't just because of all the advertising and media yeah. again portraying you need milk, you need protein from all this meat, which yeah. is not true. No, I was just gonna say we've been fed. A lie for a very long time, a very long time. We're finally writing it. (laughs) (laughs) What would you say is like your favorite meal? Well, what does your day look like (laughs) throughout the day of what you eat? I don't really love to cook. I never have all that much. Like, I, typical athlete, where I'm hungry and I need something in 15 minutes, not in like an hour. So I'm not a complicated person in the kitchen at all. I know some great vegan chefs and we've done some collaborations. And that's really fun. But as far as like me in the kitchen, it ain't happening all all those steps. (laughs) So I tend to really lean into bowls like I was just saying. And I'll just kind of make them based on, just like you always do, but based on ethnicity. I mean, what do we do? Oh, I feel like Thai tonight. Oh, I feel like Italian. Oh, I feel like Japanese. I feel like Indian. That's how a lot of us eat, right? when we're going to go out, oh, Mexican, that's one of my favorites. So I tend to just do that, my husband and I. and we just kind of build it based on what the flavors and kind of what we're in the mood for. Pretty easy peasy. But some of the more interesting and complex, I did a partnership with a good friend who's a chef, Jason Robel. He's on Instagram at Jason Robel. And we did a collaboration last year and they're called Good Bowls. And we did nine bowls based on areas in the world where I had raced my bike. So we have a Mediterranean bowl. We have a West African bowl. We have a Scandinavian bowl. We have a Latin bowl. So those are on switchforgood.org slash food. And you can find good bowls. And those are actually incredibly wonderfully delicious if people like to follow recipes because they're all just flavor explosions. I mean, he's just really creative and incredible. So if people want something a little bit more interesting than my random pasta and vegan meatballs and tomato sauce front I got from Trader Joe's, they should check those bowls out. It sounds yummy. And I think I already know the answer to this question, because you kind of mentioned it earlier. But once you became vegan, and you were still in the Olympics, did you feel more clear headed and stronger? What was that experience like? I did. I don't know about clear headed. uh, But I have heard people say they felt like for me, the first thing I noticed was just more energy. And I noticed more energy in the morning. Because when you're training as hard as I was, you wake up most mornings with an exercise hangover. I mean, that's what we would always call it. We would just call it a hangover, but they feel fairly similar to a too much alcohol hangover where you're just lethargic and groggy and headachy and your whole body just kind of la. And that's how I felt most mornings. But switching over to plants, I was starting to get up in the morning, less achy and less irritable and less groggy with more energy and kind of just more umph to start the day that was the very first thing i noticed but i was surprised to then find out that i could also still be very strong and build muscle on a plant-based diet because i did i got a lot stronger in those last couple of years and of course all the naysayers like to say well you don't know if you could have gotten that strong on an animal-based diet of course not of course not we'll never know <laughs> but i do know that i was training similar before I went plant based, about that year and a half before I was training for track, and I was able to go up astronomically in the weight I was able to move on the inverted leg sled from when I was on a meat based diet to a plant based diet. It was pretty extraordinary. It almost doubled. And there's a scene in the Game Changers that talks about it. I went from about being able to move about 300 pounds on the leg sled times 60 reps times five sets to being able to move just under 600 pounds times five sets times 60 reps in each set. So that was a big jump and it was on plants. So I think that's just a good argument for maybe you could do it on a meat-based diet, but why, when you could also do it on a plant-based diet. (laughs) Throughout your journey, what would you say is the hardest thing you've ever done or overcame? Definitely fighting back from my eating disorder. I mean, like I said, that almost took my life a couple of times. And so yeah, made the Olympics look like child's play compared to the fight that it took to come back from anorexia, for sure. That's a huge accomplishment. Thank you for sharing that story. What would you say you're most excited about this year? Oh my gosh, i am excited about some of the stuff we've got going on at Switch for Good. We've got a study that's coming out that we started at University of Sydney that's gonna be very exciting when that releases. We have some exciting pressure that we're putting on some folks in Washington to change some laws as it relates to dairy and the dairy industry and all of their muck that they are spreading throughout our subsidies and on our children at schools. And then some pretty interesting campaigns coming up too. You'll see if you sign up to get our newsletter that I really can't talk about yet, but we have three really big campaigns that are launching July and August and then October. So having some fun exciting. I'm excited for all of that. And what would you say you love the most about what you do? Oh, gosh. They say if you love what you do, never work a day in your life. Just waking up every day knowing that I am attempting to move the needle to save lives and to change our food system for good God, the beautiful creatures that are trapped in it, hopefully completely in that. And then also for Mother Earth. And to be able to really make a difference for the next generation that is going to be in a really sore spot if we don't do something now. So that just brings light to my day. And when I get really frustrated and downtrodden and exhausted and all the things that we all get and feel when we're in the midst of our day and working whatever we're working on, that helps to remind me to keep fighting and to keep going. And you can see that. It lights you up. You can see that in your work. So thank you for everything that you do. Do you believe there's a connection between medicine and spirituality? Yes. I love that you asked that. You and I were talking about that a bit when we started. I do. I think we've done quite a number on making that not be the case and having no connection in Western medicine, right? Western medicine is mostly focused on trying to just treat the symptom of an illness that's already growing and running in your body and just try to whatever the pill might be, the special cocktail. And that seems to me what medicine is now. And that's very based too on the almighty dollar, right? Because you can't make a whole lot of money if you just tell people to eat good food. You got to sell them something. You got to have a shtick. You're not going to make any money. So it's a sad conundrum that we're in. But I mean, the reality is I think that we are A hundred percent. As I was explaining earlier, connected, right? Our emotions, our mind, our body, it's obviously all one and we get disconnected. They get disconnected from each other and we get disconnected from each other as other humans on this planet. And if we really brought that back and that connection, and we knew that the power was within and the work that you do that our body truly has all that it needs to heal itself, but we've got to put in, in it what we're expecting out of it. And that's what we don't do, especially in the Western world. Our diet is the cause of most of the top three killers. I mean, heart disease, about 700,000 people a year and type two diabetes, and then different cancers. And our diet has a lot to do with the hormonal based cancers, most definitely. Mm -hmm. So much of that could change by that connectivity between our mind and our body and changing what we put inside, just changing our fuel, changing what we're feeding ourselves. I love that. I love that you bring up the whole majority of those chronic illnesses are caused by what we eat and the environments we're in. I mean, even COVID. Prime example from last year, most of the people that got super sick were the ones with the chronic underlying diseases. Is there anything else you'd like to share that I may have not asked you that you feel is important for the listeners? Not really, but since they're listening to this wonderful podcast, I host the Switch for Good podcast with Alexandra Paul. And most podcast folks, I know for me, when I listen to podcasts, I'll get podcast tips from other podcasts. If people want more of what I was talking about today, tune in, yeah, to the Switch for Good podcast. I listen to your podcast. It's amazing. Where can people find you minus listening to the podcast? The nonprofits on all the platforms, Switch for Good. So it's Switch the number for good. And then switch the number for good on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all those places. And then I am not great on social media, but I try and I do Instagram and they're at vegan Olympia. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm looking forward to everything that you're coming out with this year as well and staying connected. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Well-Balanced 360 Podcast. I'm truly grateful for all of you and excited to have you join me on this health and wellness journey. Please be sure to stay connected with me over at drshavanyameen.com or any of my social media platforms. If you found this episode to be helpful, I would truly appreciate it if you would also hit that subscribe button and make sure to tell all your friends so you don't miss any future episodes. I'll catch you next week.